So as I mentioned, Hyundai crossovers, SUVs, new vehicles in 2019 and 2020, uh, there is a lot to kind of talk about and keep track of. Uh, it has been uh, a crazy year, I would say, for crossovers and SUVs across the board, and it's been incredible to see how much uh, Hyundai's planning, development, other things have paid off, uh, at least in the past year. Uh, we've had vehicle launches like the Kona and the Kona EV, uh, the Palisade, the new Santa Fe, the all-new Venue, the updated Tucson. It's all kind of come together to create a crossover lineup that I think is generally unprecedented in any of the other automaker lineups right now, maybe outside of its sister brand, Kia. Uh, you know, Chevrolet is getting there with the new Blazer, the upcoming Trailblazer, uh, a little bit of a reconfiguration of where the Equinox and other ones sit in their lineup. But really, when it comes dollars to donuts, I think Hyundai really is the leading brand. And that's why this is so interesting to kind of look at uh, as we head into the 2020 model year, where we are going to probably be seeing more uh, vehicles being added to the uh, Hyundai, Kia, and many other brands lineups uh, for 2020 and 2021. So to kind of kick things off with this discussion, we'll start with the cheapest model they have. That is the 2020 Venue. Uh, the Venue, uh, it starts like $15,000, $16,000. It's a bargain basement crossover that's based on the small Accent model uh, available already through Hyundai dealerships. Uh, the Accent recently got an all-new chassis with an updated engine and transmission. Uh, it's received a lot of accolades for being a lot of value for money, uh, but in a time where small cars, in particular small sedans, just aren't selling compared to slightly larger crossovers that are based on that same platform, uh, the venue is likely going to be a very hot seller. Uh, what I have to say about this car in particular is really not too different from what I've said about the Nissan Kicks in the past. Uh, it is a crossover that is extremely lightweight. Uh, it's got extremely high fuel economy for its overall size and shape. Uh, but it kind of lets down a lot of people because they do not offer all-wheel drive. Uh, the Venue, much like the Kicks and the Toyota CHR, they are front-wheel drive only. There are no plans to bring in an all-wheel drive system anytime soon. Um, but fully loaded to the gills, every option box ticked. You're looking at around twenty-three to twenty-four thousand uh, dollars. The particular style of the venue is meant to look like the much uh, larger Palisade, uh, which I think has a very great premium look and feel. Um, that style has translated really well into the small vehicle, and it does have a very interesting personality uh, to it compared to some of the other ones uh, available through other competitors. Uh, you can get. Uh, different colored roofs and mirror caps and other details on it uh, that make it stand out a little bit more. Uh, they have this really premium denim edition model that only comes in the special color blue with a special uh, denim interior. Uh, overall, you know, it's they, they make a version of the venue for you. It's just a matter of what options you want. Um, and I think you're going to kind of see this as a reoccurring thing as we talk about different models. It tends to be the SEL model that I think has the most amount of value for money. Um, you're going to get things like a roof, heated seats, uh, a pretty decent safety suite, uh, but it's going to lack some of the other nice stuff like uh, automatic cruise, cruise control, some of the blind spot warnings, things like that, uh, compared to some of the other Hyundais. And, you know, it does have a lane keep assist that is pretty darn good, um, but you're still going to have to be you know, monitoring the cruise control system. You're not going to be able to really turn your brain off with this over long distance drives. Now, one of the main reasons why 
that kind of is, is because the venue is designed to be a city car uh, through and through. This is a very, very small crossover. Um, it would very likely be able to comfortably seat two full-size adults in the front row. Um, but as soon as you do that, really the back seat's going to be limited to kid usage or storage space. Um, you could probably seat four adults in there, uh, but, you know, not going to be something that you're going to want to take on a three, four hour car ride uh, unless you're up in that front row. Um, and like I said, because it only comes with front wheel drive, you're going to get pretty good fuel economy. It gets about 32 miles per gallon on average, which is very impressive with that CVT automatic. Uh, that CVT is lauded as being a pretty good one. Um, but as the CVT race continues to wage on uh, between Toyota and Nissan and many other brands, uh, Hyundai lacks some of the other finesse that Toyota seems to have developed recently uh, with the new unit that's in the uh, Toyota Corolla. So, Again, there's going to be compromises, but I mean, you're getting almost everything for 23 grand. It's a pretty good deal. Now, the hard part with the venue is, I think, not necessarily internal competition, but external competition. Uh, I have talked about the Nissan Kicks at length on this podcast before, and I still maintain that I think that is the best value for money that you can get for about 23 grand uh, anywhere in the automotive segment. Uh, small cars, big cars, whatever. Uh, it's an impressive vehicle. I mean, you get the leather seats, you get the good infotainment system, you get some pretty okay safety equipment, not quite as good as the Hyundai, um, but it just it's a car that looks really fantastic and I think kind of captures the spirit of thrifty, fun driving dynamics a little bit better than what the Hyundai will uh, at day's end. Now, stepping up to the next rung for Hyundai, uh, you've got the Kona. The Kona has been around for, I think, two years now. Uh, and much like the venue, the SEL is definitely the model to go for. However, Kona does offer the SEL Plus model. Um, that's going to be about $200 more. Uh, or sorry, not $200 more. Sorry, what am I thinking? Uh, a Kona SEL Plus standard with front-wheel drive uh, is going to be about $200 more than a fully loaded venue SEL. Uh, that's going to be $22,250 MSRP. Uh, but once you add the all-wheel drive system, which I think is pretty much a uh, must-have here in West Michigan, uh, you're looking at $26,245, which is a pretty significant jump. That's $4,000 for an all-wheel drive system and an independent rear suspension. Uh, that independent rear suspension does dramatically uh, increase the overall refinement in the ride quality. Um, it gives you a little bit better overall handling characteristics. Uh, and that all-wheel drive system is a surprisingly capable system uh, for such a cheap car. Hyundai uh, has this little button you can press that will automatically lock the center differential to split the power 50-50 front and rear. Um, that's going to give you a little bit more confidence uh, in deeper snow conditions, some icy stuff, things like that. Um, but where things get weird with the Kona is when you start looking at higher trim models that force you to upgrade to the 1.6 liter turbocharged engine and the seven speed dual clutch automatic. Uh, that engine is significantly more powerful than the standard two liter four cylinder engine. However, you're going to have a penalty when it comes to, well, I'm going to use the words powertrain performance. Uh, that transmission is known to be a pretty decent dual clutch system. Hyundai has been making it for uh, at least the majority of the past decade. Uh, back when the first Veloster came out, uh, this uh, transmission had debuted. It sounds like they don't have a lot of significant issues, um, but it's not quite as good as what Volkswagen does with their DSG setup. 
overall, however, um, what it really kind of comes down to, and the point I'm trying to make here with the higher power, the higher output turbocharged engine with the dual clutch versus the lower output two liter with a standard six speed automatic is that let's say you're out and about, you, you know, you slide off the road, you're off in the ditch a little bit, but you know, it's recoverable or you're in deep snow in a parking lot. Uh, that dual clutch automatic system is known to overheat. Uh, and in low traction scenarios, if you don't have properly equipped tires, uh, there's a good chance that you're going to get stuck uh, because the system's just not going to want to play nice uh, when it comes to traction control, putting the power down through the differentials and getting them to the actual tires. Uh, the automatic will hold up a little bit better in that scenario, probably a good bit better, honestly, uh, just because of the way trans or automatic transmissions actually work compared to an automatic manual transmission. Um, so living here in Michigan, we're a place where we get snow, where people get stuck. Uh, I would say forego the turbo, uh, skip the dual clutch. It's it's just not worth it. Stick to the cheaper one. So, you know, still at 26,245, you know, you're still way under the national uh, average vehicle purchase price. Uh, you're going to get a pretty decent amount of standard safety features. It's got the new uh, Hyundai safety suite that just rolled out. Um, since it is a newer Hyundai vehicle, it's got some of the more advanced stuff. Um, but if you care about things like automatic cruise control, um, that's only available in the tippy top trim. And it's still not the automatic cruise control system that's the current generation one that's in vehicles like the Santa Fe and the Palisade. Um, in terms of fuel economy, you're looking at about 28 miles per gallon average, uh, a four mile per gallon dip between the venue and this. Not a huge penalty, but I think it's really going to kind of depend on your driving that you're doing out on the highway. I think the Kona is going to do quite well, but stop and go in the city. Uh, it definitely could be a good bit worse. Now, the other weird thing to kind of talk about here is the sizing and the size increase from the uh, venue to the Kona, as well as the next field going to want to talk about, which is the Tucson. Uh, the Kona is kind of designed and developed to compete more directly with vehicles like the Nissan Rogue Sport, uh, the Honda HRV, uh, things like the uh, Buick Encore, Chevy Trax, uh, the smaller subcompact crossovers. Now, the Kona is still a pretty decent size. Uh, it is, I believe, technically based on the Elantra platform, uh, but it's not really that big. So then you step up to the Tucson, which is another, you know, half step bigger. That one, I, if I remember correctly, is based on the Elantra platform. Uh, it does feel much more like a normal sized car, uh, but it's still a little bit small compared to some of the other vehicles that it would kind of sort of be competing against. Uh, things like the uh, Honda CRV, the Toyota RAV4, the uh, Chevy Equinox, uh, the Tucson kind of a little bit of below. Um, but uh, where things kind of get weird, again, is that it just had this whole new revamp for 2020. Uh, previously, the Tucson, uh, for a lot of the options that I think that people would want, things like Android Auto, Apple CarPlay, were only available in the top trim model. Uh, they also forced you to get the turbocharged 1.6 liter engine with the dual clutch transmission, which a lot of people complained about. And Hyundai was like, nope, we're not putting this in this vehicle at all for 2020. Uh, so now they only offer the two liter uh, standard four-cylinder engine that's shared with the Kona with a six-speed automatic in the base two trim levels. And then once you get up to the SEL, you get the much larger, a uh, good bit more robust 2.4 liter uh, engine that's shared with the Santa Fe. 
there is going to be a lot of other changes, at least in terms of the front fascia, the rear tailgate, the headlights, the taillights, uh, as well as the dashboard. Uh, the Tucson got all of the necessary upgrades to bring it in line with the current styling that's in the Santa Fe, which admittedly, admittedly looks pretty good. It looks a little weird because it's not quite the shape that it needs to be to have that all kind of layout, but, uh, Really, dollar for dollar, you're still getting a pretty good deal. Uh, the Tucson value package with the 2-liter engine starts at 24800 and properly equipped with the all-wheel drive system, which offers no available options at all, is $27,295, uh, about... 1500 or excuse me, a little bit more than $1,000 more than a comparable Kona. Uh, with that $1,000, you know, are you getting a better vehicle for money? Uh, at least in terms of size, you're going to get a little bit more space behind the rear seats. You're going to get a little more space in the rear seats altogether, but it's not going to be a huge life-changing difference. Uh, I think, at least in my personal opinion, the Kona is a better looking vehicle than the Tucson, but that's also because the Tucson is a vehicle that dates back to, well, it's way before the current design language that they're using. And so as they've adapted the current design style from the Santa Fe and from the Palisade to the uh, Tucson, it just doesn't quite translate in a way that I think is super great. I think the next gen Tucson is going to be dramatically impressive, uh, but this one is a stopgap for basically the next two model years before the new Tucson comes out. Uh, it's really just kind of here to fill a gap at the moment. Um, the other thing that uh, you kind of lose here with the Tucson is that you start getting rid of uh, features like the sunroof. That's not available in the SEL package. Um, it does have heated front seats, but there's other little details that are missing. Uh, but you do also get a little bit of a step up in overall quality and refinement compared to the Kona in the venue uh, that I think is much appreciated. It is a little more quiet. It is a little more serene. Uh, you got a little bit more of a comfortable seat setup that I think is... Uh, worth considering uh, if you're going to be doing any long distance commuting. Uh, but really, you know, it's a personal taste thing. Is $1,000 a lot in the grand scheme of the price of the vehicle? Uh, no, I would say it isn't, um, especially with how much more of a car you're getting. Um, but it's kind of caught between, I think, the two vehicles that are most worth looking at, uh, which is the Kona and the Santa Fe. Now, the Santa Fe SEL, uh, is definitely the one I think to get in the Santa Fe lineup. The base trim model comes with some good stuff, but the SEL really adds a lot of equipment that I think is worth uh, looking at. Uh, stuff like automatic cruise control with full stop-start technology. Um, it's got the full updated Hyundai safety suite uh, with the blind spot monitoring, things like that. Uh, it's got a full digital dashboard, and it has a really excellent lane keep assist system uh, that will actually let you take your hands off the wheel, and it will keep your car in lane for a pretty significant amount of time without any kind of intervention. Uh, but there are weird things that get lost that I could have sworn at least the 2019 model had that now the 2020 does it. Things like automatic climate control. Um, you know, again, is that a deal breaker for a lot of people? I don't think so, but it is definitely a nice feature to have. Um, there's other things where it seems like, you know, some of the different, uh, Seat materials, colors, other things have been dropped as well, which again, you know, it's hard to tell sometimes between the two of them year to year, but really the big overarching thing with the Santa Fe is that it's gotten tons of awards for its overall reliability and its overall value. Um, and it is likely going to have a lot more incentives 
than other models in the Hyundai lineup of crossovers that I think make it a pretty significant value uh, compared to some of the other choices here. So at least in terms of price, the SEL Santa Fe starts at $27,650. Um, that's a little bit less than $3,000 more than the Tucson value package. Uh, and properly equipped with all-wheel drive, you're looking at $30,445. Now that's with none of the other optional packages uh, being tacked on. There are a slew of really fancy things that you can get on an SEL to load it out to be a near luxury car. Um, but you know, again, that really kind of depends on where your uh, personal preferences are at. Uh, but altogether, for about $30,000 or $30,500 with a very good all-wheel drive system, uh, with a very good engine and transmission package, uh, I think that is a pretty solid deal. And, you know, you compare it to the Tucson, again, it's about $3,000 more than a properly equipped Tucson. Uh, it's about $4,000 more than a properly equipped Kona. Uh, it really kind of comes down to a few other things. You know, the, the fuel economy difference on a Santa Fe is going to be 24 miles per gallon compared to the Tucson at 23 and the Kona at 28. Uh, you're looking at an annual fuel cost, at least in the Kona, of about $1,300 a year versus the Santa Fe, which is $1,500 a year. $200 spread across 52 weeks really isn't that much money. Um, and with the much larger size and overall performance of the vehicle and the much, much better build quality and refinement. Uh, overall, I think you're looking at a car that just feels like a much better buy. Uh, the other big thing, like I said, uh, it's going to have a lot more uh, different kinds of incentives and other rebates on it uh, compared to the other vehicles in the Hyundai lineup. Uh, I think right now there's an almost $4,000 discount on the hood of every Santa Fe uh, as we head into 2020. And with that considered, considering how it's going to knock that price down into that Kona range. Now, granted, I don't know what kind of incentives are in a Kona right now, but uh, that is a pretty good deal, I would say, dollar for dollar, uh, apples to apples in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but the kind of other big thing to consider here, I think, is kind of the outside chance here, and that's the Palisade. Uh, the Palisade SEL is significantly larger than all these other crossovers. Uh, an SEL is going to start for 36295 with all-wheel drive. Uh, it's got a lot more safety equipment. It's got a much, much bigger jump in build quality and luxury equipment, uh, even compared to the Santa Fe. Uh, and, you know, to get all the self-driving equipment, to get all-wheel drive, you're looking at about $40,000. And again, is that jump of 10 grand between a Santa Fe and a Palisade worth it? Uh, you know, I think that really depends on the amount of space that you're going to be looking at, because that is a seven-passenger SUV versus a five-passenger SUV. Um, but, you know, it's, again, it's, it's it's all amount of perspective. Where, where are your priorities? Are you looking for cargo space? Are you looking for space for kids in the back? Are you looking for more driver aids and other functions in the front row? Um it is subjective and it is, it is largely down to where you think is your, where you think your money's best going to be spent. And I think that kind of gets interesting too, when you start looking at residual values, long-term reliability, so on and so forth. And again, I, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here, but I think the Santa Fe is the better choice out of the whole lineup. And it, it really kind of comes down to, you know, the engine and transmission. It's got that 2.4 liter engine that's been around for a long time. It's got the new eight speed automatic uh, that seems to have been overbuilt to a good extent since it's available in some other vehicles. Uh, it's got that very good four wheel drive system. It's got a very good safety suite. Uh, it's got the stop and start uh, automatic cruise control. So if you do a lot of commuting, that 
would definitely come in handy uh, for people like me who used to have a 60 plus mile commute every day. Uh, the fuel economy penalty isn't that bad, all things considered. And, you know, like I said, there's going to be a lot of incentives. I think San or Hyundai is likely going to be willing to wheel and deal on a lot of these cars. Um, but that math is all up to you. Um, so if you're looking for a recommendation to buy a new Hyundai crossover or SUV, obviously Palisade being excluded here, uh, I think really your only two options are the Kona or the Santa Fe. Between the two, I think the Santa Fe is definitely the one to get. But the Kona, you know, in certain trim levels is a really good value. And, you know, if you don't need the all-wheel drive system, you're going to save a lot of money with any of these vehicles. So uh, definitely take that into consideration as well. You know, is a good set of snow tires for you know, $1,000 going to be better than a $1,700 plus all-wheel drive system long-term. Think of the amount of gas that you're going to save, the reliability differences with not having to keep track of an all-wheel drive system. There's a lot to be considered there. So yeah, I know that kind of rambled on for a good little bit, but I did want to talk about this just because I think it's very interesting when you start looking at the actual cost differences between each model. Hey everybody, it is Friday, December 6th, 2019, and you're listening to an episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Azadike, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. Today is going to be a little bit of a hybrid episode between a standard salvage title as long, or in addition to also being kind of a return to a scrap story. Uh, I want to just touch on a couple of news things before we get into the scrap stories, and specifically, uh, I want to talk about the news that's coming out of GM uh, this week. GM announced that they have a plan to build with LG Chem a battery line at uh, the shuttered Lordstown assembly plant down in Ohio. Uh, this came as a pretty big surprise to a lot of people. Uh, several billion dollars are going to be invested between both companies to uh, start building uh, electric batteries for GM's future electric vehicle lineup. Uh, this should keep a lot of people employed. This is definitely a much better thing than the, uh, what was the, the workhorse plant that I think is still possibly maybe going to be happening at Lordstown. Uh, but at least we have some kind of tangible project there. So uh, good news for the people in Lordstown. Hopefully they're able to uh, get this thing up and running pretty soon. Uh, we actually here in West Michigan have an LG Chem plant that builds electric batteries for, I think it was the Volt, and now they build them for the Bolt. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a nice steady job for a lot of folks that's going to be in a much higher demand capacity uh, as uh, continued demand for EV can uh, grows, uh, not just here in the U.S., but all around the world. The other big uh, news piece for General Motors is that uh, today they officially announced that the uh, Detroit Hamtramck plant will be shutting down very soon. Uh, there's going to be 814 salaried workers uh, are going to be laid off. Uh, UAW workers are going to be issued uh, new offers to relocate to different places throughout the state, as well as Ohio. Uh, the plant will wind down uh, in 
early April, and the Cadillac CT6 will be ceasing production in January of 2020, and the last of the Chevy Impalas uh, ceases production on February 28th. Now, this is incredibly sad uh, in two separate ways. One, obviously, for all of the people uh, that are losing their jobs, you know, obviously, as somebody who recently lost their job, uh, this super duper sucks, and it's a bad time of year to hear that this is happening. Um, yeah, not exactly good. The other bad thing is that GM is cutting off two more sedans in their lineup, uh, one of which, the CT6, was a pretty well-reviewed car that was pushing a lot of boundaries forward for the brand altogether. Uh, There seems to be some indications that the CT6 production will be moving to China and that we may be seeing Chinese-made CT6s exported to the United States. Uh, There are a lot of questions floating around whether or not the 4.2-liter Blackwing V8 is going to be... uh, continued to be built after the uh, CT6 is done. That kind of remains to be seen. Uh, On the other hand, the Chevy Impala dying uh, is the end of a 52-year production run uh, that began in 1957. Uh, There is no words to really describe how incredibly disappointing that is, uh, that GM is giving up on one of their biggest nameplates, that uh, there is just no more room for a family sedan in their lineup. And especially when it was consistently one of the best-selling cars in the United States for the better part of the last two decades. Uh, So we will see what ends up happening. Um, There's a lot of different things that are kind of coming online eventually for Detroit Hamtramck. It sounds like they're going to be keeping it open uh, to do some kind of electrical vehicle work. That's uh, where the Volt previously had been manufactured, uh, but that uh, car obviously ended production earlier this year. So We'll kind of see what happens there. Um, sad stories across the board, but uh, you know, it's it's weird stuff that does unfortunately happen in the auto industry. And I think as things continue to kind of be upended by electric vehicles and the continued demand for crossovers doesn't seem to be stopping, uh, we're probably going to see this a lot more with a lot of other companies. And I think if a vehicle like the Impala, which I think would have been considered no questions safe just a few short years ago in the GM lineup. Uh, I, I have to start to wonder, you know, what's going to happen to cars like the Toyota Camry, uh, the Honda Accord, the Nissan Altima. Uh, it's nobody's safe out there. And I think that's the actual scary part. Now, what we do get to do here on the show is we get to shift gears over to the, uh, well, the side, the scrap story part of this thing. Uh, So one of the things I want to do with at least the scrap story aspect of this episode uh, was talk about Hyundai's crossover lineup. Uh, Hyundai, like many other companies uh, recently over the past uh, three to five years, got caught flat-footed without any crossovers in their lineup. Uh, They had to quickly uh, reevaluate assets and investments and development times and other things and pushed hundreds of millions of dollars into their crossover development. And we here in 2019 have now seen the majority of the fruits of that labor uh, with vehicles that have both been uh, updated, reintroduced, along with uh, all new vehicles for 2019 and 2020 uh, that are significant improvements over the vehicles that they are replacing. 
So I wanted to kind of get an idea of where money is best spent, uh, fuel economy, things like that, options, um, and kind of talk about this because I had a discussion with my friends the other day about uh, Hyundai's crossover lineup, and we all kind of seem to be looking at different aspects of what may or may not be good. So uh, after a short little bump, uh, we'll talk about some of these Hyundai crossovers and SUVs and uh, where there's some interesting breaks in the overall lineup uh, for different options, standard equipment that you might be looking for. Stay tuned. All right, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Bart Eisenlake, and you can follow along with me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Y-S-S-M-A-N. And you can follow along with episodes of this show at anchor.fm slash salvage title. We do make this podcast available on a wide variety of podcasting platforms, including Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and so much more. Uh, so if you do like what you hear, please give us a rating or review if that platform accepts it. Uh, definitely hit that subscribe button. And, uh, and if you think there's somebody in your life that uh, might enjoy some of this, uh, feel free to share it. Uh, that would be wonderful as we head into the new year. Uh, in other news, guys, you know, uh, as I mentioned, a little bit unemployed here, so you might be getting episodes a little more regularly than usual. Uh, slow news time is upon us as we're between the holiday seasons. Uh, no big auto show in January of 2020, so I can't imagine there's going to be a lot of other stuff there. So really, you know, we're out to February almost before things start happening. So in the meantime, you know, as things pop up, we'll talk about it. Uh, I'll try to think of other interesting things to kind of discuss and look into. So uh, hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. Drive safe, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Salvage Title Podcast.